Well, excellent job on chapter 16. Another long module that we just completed on appraisal and valuation. The exam does consist of another of a number of questions from this chapter, so you will see um, you need to you need to be very familiar with this chapter. Make sure it's at the top of your uh, priority list when you review and study preparing for the exam. Of course, in this chapter, we, we discussed what value is. And, and value can mean many things to many different people. A, a real estate broker will have an estimation of value, just like an insurance company will have an estimated of value. The county collector uh, or assessor will have uh, a value that they place on the property for what your property should be taxed for. The court may have a value if they were condemning your property and taking it for public use through an eminent domain uh, or condemnation lawsuit. So value can mean many things to many to um, many different people, but we need to understand that for value to exist, we need to remember the acronym DUST, D-U-S-T. And of course, we have all of the information here for dust. We have demand. There must be some demand for the property. Um, demand also affects the kind of value real estate will have. 20 acres, in the example in your book, in the middle of nowhere, will not have the same kind of value that 20 acres in a downtown city or next to a major highway might have. The For, for anything to have value or real estate to have value, it has to have utility or some kind of usefulness. And uh, of course scarcity is another characteristic of value. We always we all remember what happened to uh, many of us remember I should say years ago when cabbage patch dolls were very popular uh, the, but yet there was a small demand I mean a, a, a small supply but there was a large demand of cabbage patch dolls you had this scarcity of the products, so value naturally went up. And of course, it has to be easily transferable for uh, real estate to have value. So DUST is a good acronym for you to remember just to check through the, uh, the items that, you know, what kind of demand is there for this? Is there some usefulness or utility? Uh, is it scarce? I mean, what what's the supply and demand for the property? And can you easily transfer it or transferability? So that is a good acronym for you to help remember the various aspects of value. Now, we also talked about market value, market price, and you can see some information right here on the screen and in your textbook you uh, need to understand that both buyer and seller are typically motivated, they're well informed, there's been some considerable amount of time for the real estate being sold to be available to the open market, payments are made in cash or comparable financial arrangements, and there no, there's no special financing involved. I have a property I just listed last night and I showed the property today to a potential buyer. If the buyer was to make, uh, which they did, a low cash offer and the seller was to accept that, we may not want to 
uh, we may have to make some adjustments that may not actually be what we would consider market value. Why? Because this little bullet point right here hasn't been on the market for a considerable length of time. The, the opposite is true if a property's been on the market for a long time and it has not sold and then it finally sells, you know, you kind of have to take all of these things into consideration. If I said to you, I'll finance my house with zero down and 2% interest for 20 years. I might be able to get a higher price than normal if these financing terms were not in play. In other words, I might be willing to pay a little bit more for this property because of your financing terms. However, if you're going to make me go to the bank and use my money and get conventional financing, then I probably may want to offer a little less or closer to the list price. So that's when we talk about no special financing considerations if the uh, seller made some very, very attractive financing terms, as I just pointed out. Perhaps that property sold for a little bit more than it, than it really is worth. So you can look at some of the information here in your textbook about market value, market price, um, some of that information I would definitely go over. We have some definitions. Anticipation. Naturally, values can go up or down if there's an anticipation of certain events that may happen. Supply and demand. We talked about Cabbage Patch Dolls earlier, but the iPhone, when it comes out and, and they all sell out, then naturally prices may go up for those. Uh, Super Bowl tickets, when there's only a limited number of tickets, the supply is limited, and the demand is high, prices go up. The law of substitution right here, the third one down, talks about all things are equal. Consumers will consider all things equal um, in, a, in a specific neighborhood. So let me kind of explain how the law of substitution works. If you had house A, house B, house C, and house D, they're in the same neighborhood. They are all equally uh, in the same neighborhood, equal in size, all other things are similar. However, house number D has put a lot of extra features in their home. Granite countertops, high-end windows, big patio, swimming pool, they have actually spent a lot of money on extra items. What the law of substitution says is the consumer will not necessarily want to pay that higher price if all things are equal. Therefore, the maximum value of a property tends to be set by its competition that is also for sale. So what this means is D, even though they have a lot of money invested, they're going to have to put their price in line with these other three. Because consumers just won't, in most cases, spend the extra money for that. 
if all of the other homes in the neighborhood are only worth a certain amount of money. The law of contribution says that the value will be measured by the amount that is either added to the property or takes away from the value. A lot of times you have to explain this to consumers because there are some items that you might put into a property. Let's say, for example, new windows. You may spend a lot of money for those new windows. However, is that going to contribute this same amount of money that you spent? Not always. New carpeting, new painting tend to contribute more to the value than say new windows or uh, if you had to go and replace uh, floor joists below the property because they're rotted out or, or rafters in the roof. See, those kinds of things consumers expect to already be done. So you may not get your value back for that. So the principle of the law of contribution says the value will be measured by the amount that it either adds to the property or takes away. And so a lot of times consumers say, gosh, I just um, had all of this foundation work done and I spent a lot of money getting the floors leveled and, the, and this and that, and, and they spent all of this money, but it's not necessarily going to add a lot of value back to the property. The law of regression and progression just says that uh, I like to always kind of refer to this, that if you have a small house in a neighborhood where there are big homes, the law of progression says they will bring your property value up. But the reverse can happen with the law of regression in that if you are the biggest kid on the block or the biggest home on the block, then your value tends to be brought down. So pretty kind, pretty easy to remember there. Progression, property values go up. They will bring your property value up. Regression, they will take your property value down. You can also see the law of increasing and diminishing returns. What this means, and this is an economic principle that says at some point you can produce so many goods that regardless of how much money you continue to put in your uh you put in the marketplace you won't get that money back and this is a good example that kind of goes along with this law of contribution you know we talked about uh, or actually let me go back up here to the law of substitution where consumers will pretty much um, substitute the um, the property you know even though you've done a lot of work to your property because these other homes in the neighborhood are already much less than your property value it's going to pull your property down well the law of diminishing returns increasing and diminishing returns says that you can keep putting money in your house but at some point your house is only going to be worth so much money in that area so um, you know that's a that's a the max that that area will normally um, happen and if you just keep putting money in your property you're not going to get it back. I was talking to a friend the other day he was telling me in their area that there are a lot of people that have built these 750,000 to a million uh, 
properties, but when they go to put them back on the market, they're only selling for about 490. He said they can't break can't break a half a million dollars. So you can see that half a million dollars would be the this point right here and regardless of what you put over that, you're not going to get it back. Conformity says property values tend to be higher for a property as it conforms with other homes in the neighborhood. That's what you always want to look at. Try to price your property. We have some other definitions here on highest and best use, competition, where property values will spill over. I have seen this, uh, these two words, tend to see those on the exam a lot. Plottage is when you put several lots together. So when you are you're putting several lots together, you're going to help the value go up. And the example we have is you take a 100 by 150 lot on a major highway, you can't do much with it. But if you put three or four lots through plottage together, now you can put a fast food restaurant, a car lot, and much more. Same way with assemblage, it is what we call the process. So that is the process of plotting the lots together. And of course, change can happen. A tornado could go through a small town that at one time needed lots of buildings tore down. And, and because of the natural disaster, people rebuild and, and there are new sidewalks and new lights and new houses and new construction and now everything's changed and values will definitely change with that as well. Now as we go down we have three different types of approaches we look we will look at. The market data sales of comparison approach and you have information in your notes. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. It is very important for you to study but as far as the recap goes, I just want you to understand that the market data or uh, sales comparison approach, which is interused, inter so it could be called this, it can also be called the sales comparison approach, is ideal for single family residential homes. It's also good for vacant land. And why? Because it compares the subject property to other similar properties that have sold. So you can see that, you know, as we look at comparables, there's lots of information down here that you can read. We're looking at location, at the physical characteristics, and the time frame that it's been on the market. Naturally, you wouldn't want to pick properties that have sold uh, three years ago because the market's changed since then. You wouldn't want to compare a two-story home to a ranch home, two different types of properties. And you wouldn't want to compare a house that's on this side of town with a house in a totally different neighborhood on the other side of town. It's not good to do. So know that. Understand about making adjustments. We have that information here for you. And just want to recap very quickly for you that uh, we'll just look at this. If you were appraising a home with a two-car garage and the home next door sold last month but only had a one-car garage but everything else was the same, what would you conclude? The, the conclusion is if the property that had already sold the house next door, if it had a two-car garage, it would have probably sold for more money.
therefore you add value to that home as if it had a two-car garage and we add eight thousand dollars so you can see we're looking at this comparable that sold for sixty thousand and we're saying wait a minute if that house had had a two-car garage maybe it would have sold for sixty-eight so we make an adjustment to the comparable we're always making adjustments to the parable to the comparable property you know the question comes up here why don't you make the adjustments to the subject property and the answer is because the house we're trying to place a value on we have no idea at this stage what its value could be so we're not able to adjust the subject we can only make adjustments to the comparable property so I have a little um, item here for you to to remember if the comparables lacking a feature then you add if it if it has uh, more you would subtract so you wanna kinda make sure that you can you can work through these adjustments uh, here's an example this is our subject property this is a property you're doing the appraisal on or the CMA it's in fair fair location but notice comparable number ones in a good location so remember uh, more equals less less equals more so fair location comparables in a good location we always make adjustments to what comparables so more or better good location fair location so more equals less we're saying if comparable number one had been in a fair location it probably would have sold for four thousand five hundred dollars less let's look at comparable number two no central air but our subject has central air less equals more no central air less features add we want to add so this is uh, you know kind of one of those areas you have to think about and work through but as you make your comparables remember more if the subject property has better or more you're going to subtract value if the subject property does not have um, or pardon me if the comparable property does not have something the subject property has then you would add value so always make adjustments to the comparables more good location better location subtract comparable number two no central air less features than our subject property because it has central air we're going to add you need to know that for the exam because you may have a question on that now we talk about the cost approach which is a great uh, approach for the um, commercial type and pardon me now we're talking about the cost approach which is ideal for special purpose type properties a church a city hall now a new home also works well for the cost approach because as you will see what we're really trying to do is reconstruct the building deduct depreciation never depreciate land and add the land value back 
So it's good for new homes, but it's also ideal for special purpose type, type properties. Now, as you can see, we have an example here, $4,500 land value. We take the home, which is 1,800 square feet times $50 a square foot, 90,000 new to build. We deduct our depreciation, we get 68,000. We do not depreciate land, so now we're gonna add our land value back up and we have $72,000 value. That's through the cost approach. Know what these items are here. Again, definitions, very important, will help you pass the exam because they will throw these questions in. This is another uh, good example here, the quantity survey method, unit and place method. Make sure you understand all of these. And also make sure you understand the depreciation forms. We've already talked about this in your class, and again, this is just a quick review, but um, physical deterioration can fall into curable and incurable, and um, so you want to make sure that you, um, that, you, that you understand the curable and the incurable side. Also, functional obsolescence, it's outdated materials. That too can be curable and incurable. And then we have external or environmental depreciation. And I always like to uh, remind folks that uh, external or environmental depreciation, you have no control over this situation. It's outside the property lines, okay? Notice that both physical and functional fall within the property lines, but external and environmental fall outside the property lines. So you've got um, the cost approach, ideal for special purpose type properties, and also brand new homes. And then we have the income approach. Uh, we've worked through some of these problems already in this chapter, but this is ideal for income producing properties. And you can kind of go through some of the information that's there. Again, remember with the income approach, we're really looking at the rate of return or the cap rate. So some very good information there I would know and learn. I would understand how to do the gross rent multiplier because you will probably see, definitely know you will see some cap rate problems and probably a gross rent multiplier problem on the exam. And then the other um, definitions we have here, you want to make sure that you, uh, you know uh, all of these, very important to know. I'm just going to highlight those. What's effective age? What's actual age? Economic life, physical life. And then know the stages of a neighborhood. I've seen questions on that as well. Very important for you to know that. You have growth, stability, decline, and revitalization. It's interesting. Uh, there's a neighborhood subdivision I drive through and early in my real estate career that was the go-to subdivision and so you know I remember watching that subdivision go through the growth stage and the new the new uh, properties and uh, in fact my wife and I purchased a home in there and and raised our children over there and we were probably in the subdivision during this stability stage the growth had kind of taken over and was gone and they completed the subdivision so we live there in the stability stage, but now when I drive through, I can kind of see the, 
subdivision is almost going into a declining stage. It's interesting, but at some point that same subdivision will revitalize and take off and be very, uh, very popular again. So every neighborhood has those four cycles and they like that question on the test and they love this question here. What's the first and last um, part of an appraisal? Number one, state the problem. And number two, you um, write the last part is you write the report. Remember that you uh, never average your comps. You always want to put the most weight or and you never average the three different types of of uh, appraisal values we went through. You want to put the most weight with the type of property you're doing the appraisal on. So if it's a special purpose type property you're probably going to put most of your weight in the cost approach. If it's uh, an apartment building and you can find some other comps of apartments in the area that's great but you're probably going to put your most weight in the income approach. If it's a single family home you're probably going to put the most weight into the sales comparison or, or market data approach. Never ever average. A lot of information in this chapter. It's very important for you to, to go over, to be familiar with the three various types of appraisal methods, know how to do the cap rate problems, how to do the gross rent multiplier problems. Make sure you understand how to make adjustments for depreciation. There will be some questions on there. And again, they're going to be real similar to um, um, properties where they're going to give you information. You're going to have to figure out was that physical or was that economic. And they may give you, just as a heads up, they might give you a, a problem with a lot of information and give you depreciation for all three types of depreciation. But then the question asks you for only two types of depreciation. So you've got to be able to look in that problem and say, even though they gave me all three, the question wants to know what was the functional and economic depreciation to taken. And so read those questions carefully and make sure you're able to, to identify what's functional, what's physical, what's environmental, and then, and then go with the correct answer. Because I guarantee you answer A is the one they want you to try to go for. And it has all three choices. But answer B, C, or D will only have the two two types of depreciation and that, and that's what they're asking you for so the correct answer is D but a lot of people will jump on A because they see all of this depreciation but they forget to find out what are they really wanting me to answer so read the questions carefully make sure you are familiar with all of this information spend a lot of time studying valuation. It's a very, very important chapter and you will do just fine on the exam. Well, that wraps up chapter 16 and a lot of ink scratching on that specific <laughs> review. But you are doing a great job and after you pass the review quiz that's coming up, 
you can move on to chapter 17.